Welcome to the Carrie-Ann Podcast. This is your host, Lindsay Rowland. Today on our show, we are excited to have Republican congressional candidate and business owner, Mr. Andrew Heaton for Colorado District 5. Thank you, sir, for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. We are excited to have you. Um, always excited to have Republican candidates. Um, could you tell me a little bit about yourself and your background um, to start out initially? Sure. Um, although I've never had a chance to serve in the military, I've always been a huge supporter of the military and our, our veterans' families and have had many family members in the military, um, dated a few military members in the past. And in our district, Colorado Springs, uh, the assessor and I were having a conversation the other day. 38% of the households have a 100% or more, you know, well, you can't have any more. 90% or more disabled veteran was was the actual statistic, if I remember right. So, you know, we are a very, uh, very military-heavy district. We have five bases. Um, a little history on myself. You know, I'm, I am a businessman. I'm not a politician. Like a lot of people, I have been extremely frustrated by what we've seen, you know, go on here. Um, sorry, my, my Zoom keeps screwing up here. Oh, you're good. No, I'm on Wi-Fi, so hopefully you can... <laughs> edit that out if we're having problems. But anyway, um, so no, I'm, I'm a businessman. I'm not a politician. Uh, and, and so this is all new to me. Uh, sometimes I might come across as a little unpolished, but we these like, are issues. Carry On Podcast loves unpolished. That's our thing. <laughs> so you're in the right place. <laughs> these are issues that I, I feel very strongly about, as does, you know, my campaign chair, General Grange. Um, who had a stellar military career. And then after all that was CEO of the McCormick foundation for nine years. Um, and we've had several other, uh, geos endorse us also, um, which the incumbent to what we can find never has. Uh, and he's taken money from the parent company for, you know, Balfour Beatty, which is causing enormous housing problems and bases all over the country, particularly for us here at Carson. Um, and he, he just hasn't been very sensitive to the issues of military and veterans' families. And then he got 19 pages of ethics violations, which were mostly just silly and ridiculous stuff. And it was, uh, you know, why, why on earth are you having your staff fill out resumes for your kid? And, you know, why is your, why is oh, your son? Tell so me more about that. Oh, it's, it's just craziness and it's just kind of embarrassing and silly stuff. But, you know, apparently these came from a lawsuit from his former military subject matter expert. Um, and they, you know, opened an ethics investigation in Congress there. And anyway, this 19 page report was issued as part of it. It's some entertaining reading, but none of it is outright criminal, but it's just a lot of stuff that shows that his focus has been almost entirely on himself and his family and what they can make out of this position. Um, this is something that bothers me immensely. You know, the other thing is this person has been here 16 years. Uh, you know, 16 years is a long time. We obviously need term limits. And in my opinion, I think I think federal federal offices should also be volunteer positions. Um, I know that gets a lot of people's dander up, but, you know, if if you're not there, are just too many people enriching themselves through the office uh, where they shouldn't be trading. You know, there's and now he's got insider trading allegations. And when you have access to that level of information, it's really hard not to be insider trading. And we just see these abuses and we see these guys go to Congress. And after several years, they're they're all in it for themselves. 
um, it becomes very narcissistic and they become greedy. And the people of Color Springs just deserve somebody much, much better. And I think for myself and many other members of the business and military community, when he lost Space Command with seven of the nine commands being in our district, I saw that. I mean, and in the eighth being up north in, oh. in Aurora, out east of Denver, and the ninth being in Vandenberg, but somehow it goes to Redstone Arsenal in Alabama. And he was just getting outworked. That's what the members of the Trump administration I've talked to have said is that Alabama had somebody there every single day. Mm-hmm. And this guy isn't fighting for our business community. He isn't fighting for our vets, our military. He's fighting for himself. You know, even these little tiny things that go out, like like General Ferd brought to my attention, who's another general who's endorsed us. He actually introduced me to my campaign manager, uh, Colonel Colonel Morris. Um, and he, he he brought to my attention. He goes, "Look, here's this little thing that came out. This is sixty million dollars to support military towns." It's a small amount of money. These come out every few weeks and, you know, the military towns apply for them and the local congressman is supposed to have their grant writer in their office or something along these lines, go apply for this and get this done. He goes, look, Oceanside got three and a half million (laughs) dollars. And he's like, spring's got nothing. And he goes, I've gone back for years and I've seen none of these that were applied for. Uh, And there's just, we see too much of this politically. Um, And this guy is particularly a bit of a train wreck. And, you know, I happen to be in the district. So I was like, there's something we can do about this. And myself, my friends, we got together and said, we're going for this. Uh, because, you know, the, the issues of this district, yes, we have family issues. We need school choice. We need it. We need, you know, good border policies. Like General Ferd also said, and I, I love this statement, that in many ways, our border patrol is our second department of defense. Because it literally protects our borders around this nation and keeps people from getting in. And I sat in DC with Mark Morgan for a couple hours here um, around Christmas time. And we discussed all these issues that were going on. And toward the end of Trump, you know, we were down to only 17,000, 15,000 people a day coming across the border. It was very minimal. And now we're, you know, over 200,000. We have people being flown in in the middle of the night, all in some strange attempt to gerrymander districts and in taking enormous amounts of taxpayer revenue to do it. And then we have the largest source of revenue now for the cartels, even more than narcotics. Are the, is the, it's the human trafficking that's going on right, right at our own borders. And, and, you know, the Democrats are blaming the horses. It's like, we're going to attack Mr. Ed now. Like, like what, what are people doing? It's just, it's like the whole country's gone crazy. And I'm very pro-immigration. I mean, my, my, my stepmom just got her citizenship. I mean, I have several family members who are immigrants. And it's like, I'm very pro-immigration, but pro-legal immigration. So we know who's coming here and we're getting the right people here. At the end of the day, our, our country is a club and we only want to let in the members that benefit the rest of us and, and protect the other members of the club. We don't want to be letting in, in criminals. Um, so there are many other issues, but it comes back to for the Springs, it's, it's veterans in the military. When it's taking 90 days to get somebody with a suicide attempt in front of a psychologist, we were talking to one of the care coordinators of the base. After six and a half months, she had finally gotten the guy his own wheelchair. And he had been in the barracks for that six and a half months at the most trying time in his life when he lost his legs. He was in the barracks because they couldn't get a team of carpenters out to his house to make it handicap accessible. That's unacceptable. Absolutely it's, unacceptable. And you know, I'm a veteran. So of course, 10 year yes. veteran army. So like absolutely unacceptable. And yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you get it, but it's like, this is the stuff that just, if you're a, if you're a 
you know, God and country loving American, this stuff just makes your blood boil. Uh, how could this be going on? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. No, no, you're good. Go ahead. No, but back to Doug Lamborn. So I was, uh, I worked for, uh, he was on the armed service committee, as you know, right. And he's a subcommittee uh, for uh, readiness. Right. But I mean, I, so I worked for someone that worked on the armed service committee a couple of years ago. And like, I don't even remember him. Like, I don't think that he was the, you know, the things that he's doing. I don't, you know, I, I can't even put a face to a name. And I sat there for like a year and watched the hearings. And so I'm just like, yeah. And then what he's got to be on his, what, uh, this would be his ninth term. This right? will be his ninth term if he can win it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that though. So you just, so you're hitting the, you, you're in the primaries now. And I saw that you did your, the signatures. And so I was running, so I was going to run for office in Ohio, but I'm not now, but I know the signatures are a huge thing. So I just had to ask, so why was it that you got like 3000 signatures and then what they only checked to see which ones were in your district? Is that how you kind of got weeded out to like the minimal that you needed or the Yes. So what it's a process of, of, and honestly, there's a lot of frustration with the secretary of state's office over this issue um, among many of the candidates. Luckily we were the one of the ones that ended up on the positive side of it. Like they lost 300 petitions of ours. We don't know where they went to. Oh, wow. They just up and lost them. Now, luckily we still had enough that we, we covered it um, because we submitted a little over 3000 and somehow, you know, there was only a little over 2,700 officially submitted uh, so we don't know what they did with the other 300. You know, we count them. We had a lawyer do it just to make sure, which most campaigns don't take that extra step. Right. But we had one of the party lawyers there just to make sure it all got done right. And somehow they just up and lost them. So it's a messy process. The problem um, is in this state, we have two processes. We have assemblies and we have the signatures. And there was a lot of hanky-panky uh, with the assembly. Um, and, and so, you know, we weren't even given delegate lists, so we couldn't call delegates. We couldn't do anything. So we were forced into signatures. Um, but it is a, if nobody's done it before, it's a rough, difficult process. You know, people are upset. They don't want their time wasted. They just want to go to the grocery store and get their groceries. They don't want to take the 15 seconds to sign your petition. They're in a hurry. And it's funny, you'll notice the pattern throughout the day, not to get too far off track, but you'll notice the pattern where in the morning, the retirees and the people that have a little more time are very happy to sign. But by the time you're about two or three in the afternoon and people are getting off work and rushing home to pick up kids and make dinner. Oh yeah. Nobody wants, (laughs) you are public enemy. Number one. (laughs) People are just like, I do not have time for this. Right. And and a lot of people will try slick, you know, saying this or that or something. And we just straight up tell them what we're there for. You know, it's like Republican voters getting a candidate on the ballot. Please help. Now (laughs) you have described yourself as, I think this is very interesting, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Ronald Reagan, Republican with libertarian leanings. Um, You said that to the Colorado uh, politics. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, You know, I feel like our party, unfortunately, has gone away from the values of, of Reagan and Roosevelt and the things that made the Republican Party great. And we have started to major in the minors. Um, we should be worrying about school choice and families and the border. And instead, we have a party where people are still fighting, at least in our district, two of the candidates I'm running against are openly anti-gay. And it's like, are, are you kidding me? It's, it's 2022. And it's like, how, how can you, you know, it's like, I get it that in, in some circles, there's a few people here and there, but it's like, I have a cousin who's gay. I have employees that are gay. It's like, I don't, 
understand how what adults do on their own time is even an issue. And, you know, there's a lot of the Republican Party, unfortunately, that is mirroring the extremism on the left. And we are getting extreme in our own right. And sane, sensible business people and, and you know, people with positions of authority in a prior life, be they military or whatever, need to stand up and be leaders and come to the fore and go enough of this. You know, my, my dad was, uh, you know, a friend, acquaintance, whatever. I remember getting introduced to this kid. I don't remember the whole story though, but Zig Ziglar, but I remember he would always say that don't major in the minors. And, you know, as a party, we are majoring in the minors. We need to worry about the things that are really important to most of us and have a big tent. We need to be worried about smaller government. We need to be worried about military, about quality foreign policy, the border, again, school choice, like things that we can all agree on. And if we agree on eight out of the 10 same things, we need to be friends. We need to be allies. Instead, we have people who agree on 10 out of 10 things and will quibble over one or two of them that they don't exactly agree with in the same way. And I've seen there's a lot of that going on in the local party here, but also naturally, uh, nationally. And it's it's part of this drive toward extremism. Um, and this is bad leadership. Uh, you know, a leader takes the 70, the 80 percent of the will of the people that they are leading and tries to carry that out to the best of their ability. They, they don't major in the minors and go fight over silly things, <clears throat> especially things that don't affect other people. If you could gauge, um, I mean, obviously you think you can beat Doug and I hope you do. Um, but if you could gauge, let's talk about the primaries first, the candidates that you're running against. Sure. And then I'd like to move into past that. But so how, how do you think you will fare with the, with the two other Republican candidates? And I was taking a look at them. I mean, uh, yeah. 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 They're, they're, you know, they're, uh, uh one of them, she, uh, she's, she's very nice. Um, but you know, she only had 3000 votes in the last election. Um, Wait, but nice doesn't get you nice. Doesn't get you elected. Right. Doesn't get you elected. And she has a good track record of service to her country and so on. Um, but you know, you need money, you need support, you need endorsements, you need other people getting behind you and helping she's a you. veteran, right? I don't mean to cut you off. Yes. She's a veteran, right? Yes, she is. Yeah. And, a, and a very kind person. Um, and you know, the, the other candidate, uh, is honestly, uh, well, he was fired from the Trump campaign by Jared Kushner personally for creating fake endorsements. Yeah. And just a number of strange, strange things um, with him. And and he's kind of state party doesn't seem to think he's going to get more than a few percent. So it's basically us heads up against Lamborn. And the question is, it's raising money. It's raising endorsements. Uh, You know, if our message resonates with you, HeatonForCongress.com is where people can go to research and sign up to volunteer or, or to contribute. And it's it's a necessary evil with these things, money, money and endorsements and, and getting your name out there. It's what what it's all about. It's why congressmen, uh, you know, have the 95 percent reelection rate is because there are so, you know, there there there's it's hard to go up against somebody with huge name ID um, and create yours out of thin air. So and coming back to a little bit, something that you had mentioned before about him in D.C. and literally he is invisible in D.C. It is so funny. I mean, I've talked to so many lobbyists, different groups, and they just go, who? We know Colorado Springs, but we don't know who your guy is. And they should know who he is, especially with having the, ba- the bases, that, the amount of military that you have in that district. People should know who he is. Yeah. 
Uh, absolutely. They should know who he is and they should, I mean, this, this, like Reagan said about the U.S., I remember originally during the Cold War, we're the city on a hill. And Colorado Springs is such a conservative military district that the rest of the country should be going, what is the congressman from Colorado Springs going to do? What is he or she going to do? You know, I, I mean, this this should be where people's minds are at. Instead, we have somebody who's who's so weak that the other congressmen don't even know who he is in many cases. I had a, a congressman from Texas talking to me one night, one of my one of my last trips there. And, you know, he was we we're talking about this, that I you know, told him I'm looking at running for this district and so on. He goes, yeah, he goes, I don't know who's there right now. You know, I told him the guy's name and he's like, I don't know who that is. That's crazy to me. It's crazy. crazy. You experienced it firsthand. So, you know, instead of having somebody that the rest of the country fears going against on issues of military and veteran policy, we have nobody. And, you know, but the other guy who's running, uh, you know, he's another professional politician, just like Doug. And so we've got two professional politicians and a a businessman with a a military team, you know, and this is new territory for all of us. Um, But, you know, getting out there and going after that thing and and something else you had mentioned. I mean, I feel like for most of the country, particularly Colorado, this Western Rocky Mountain conservative, you know, we are we are really libertarians um, in in many ways. Uh, You know, adults live and let live. We, we shouldn't be nanny stating everybody. We shouldn't be over-regulating businesses. We should be worried about the major issues that are important in our district because as a congressman, you're one of only 435 people. So you got to pick the few things you're going to be able to affect every year. And you got to be smart. You got to be willing to outwork the other guys that are there and, and do the work that other people won't do. That comes from having a strong team. And, you know, my... Colonel Morris, who's my campaign manager, will be coming as our as our chief of staff. And, you know, he'll probably only be able to come for a short amount of time for a few years and then train a replacement. But it's like this. It's not just me. We're bringing a fantastic team of guys that are very dedicated and that have long histories of serving their country um, and in serving the best interest of the people around them. You know, these are these are very selfless uh you know, kind, good, quality, hardworking individuals. You don't get it done with one person, no matter how amazing people might think think they are. It's always a team. Yeah, and, and I think you picked your, your team very well because I was looking at them yesterday. I think you have a, a really solid Wonderful team. people. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to ask you though, because I we only have a certain amount of time. I got a couple of things I want to talk to you about. Um, okay. This one I already know the answer to, but sometimes you have to ask questions you already know the answer to. Um, did it redistricting affect you at all? The redistricting last fall? Do you feel like that's going to affect this election or is that kind of like indifferent right now? Well, it, it took the district down from actually where I used to live up in the mountains, a little town called Buena Vista. It took it all the way down to where it's only basically the urban areas of Colorado Springs or in, in El Paso County. Um, so in, it changed it into a more urban area. The makeup of the district isn't that radically different. There's a lot of independence now in the district because the Republican Party has lost about 30% of its membership over the last several years due to the, the bad leadership we've, we've had. And yeah, so I wouldn't say it affects it too dramatically for us. It does make it simpler for us, though, in the sense that, you know, we, we have a smaller district to be in. We don't have to travel across five counties and so on. 
Um, you know, but we we intend to outreach to every community that's there because a lot of communities don't get the attention that they deserve. Great answer. Um, very, it's very interesting, yeah. Because the redistricting, like even in Ohio, they redistrict, but they're not going to finish the redistricting until after the Republican primaries. So I don't know how that yeah. works, but I mean, it's it's definitely like there's a lot of redistricting going on. I wanted to ask you. I know that your staff is. Uh, mostly military and a lot of your supporters are military. Um, And then this is obviously, you know, this is a military podcast. So before we go, I wanted to talk to you about what are some of your key issues for military personnel? And then also you touched a little bit on veterans, but if we could talk about your key points for those two categories, because that, you know, that is huge, obviously for your district and huge for um, our interest in this podcast. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Again, we have to be smart in, in pick battles we can we can actually win. Uh, you know, there's there's lots of things out there that are small items, like for instance, when people are switching out of the military and you know their PA who who's in charge of all the guys in that group uh and are switching into TRICARE a lot of times as they're leaving. Um it's not clear a lot of times in the paperwork what's going on. They end up with a 60 to 90 day gap where they're completely uncovered at the most vulnerable point that they are going to be for suicide in the entire process um, or just for any, any kind of harm, you know, because when you're, when you're getting out of something, a lot of times you find those aches and pains and those problems you didn't know you had because you were pushing so hard for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so closing small loopholes like that, doing things that we can actually take on, uh, the Balfour, you know, BD, uh, the housing issue here, where somehow this group has just been screwing up base housing all over the country and still has their 30 year contract. This is this is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And that's that's military wide. Absolutely unbelievable <laughs> that we're still accepting that this is OK. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you get it completely. So, yeah. you know, things, things like this where, uh, and also raising awareness. And in many cases, like there might not be a quick way to set up a solution. Um, so like, like some of the stuff we've been doing, you know, are, are getting certain counselors and, and lawyers and stuff and just making them accessible on a volunteer basis to guys that are getting out and, and guys that are having issues and, and women to your point and their families and their wives. And there's an epidemic of, of suicide, not just among men, but, but, but women also, mm-hmm. and even, even the wives of a lot of these, these personnel. I mean, these are stressful situations and about as stressful as you can possibly imagine for most people. I mean, I don't have to tell you. And so even using our office as a bully pulpit, as Teddy Roosevelt used to like to say, to set up things that are that are better. And like, for instance, we've already been doing work that our congressmen should be doing. I mean, we had a a local veteran owned company there who was owed about thirty thousand dollars. And we were able to make a few calls and make sure that he got paid. He'd been waiting 18 months. We had another group looking for a training facility that they were having to travel four states away to find. And I was able to call the director of aviation, who was somebody I knew in a neighboring state and get him in there immediately. Um, You're like, Doug, what have you been doing? Yeah, I know this is the thing. It's like, just, I'm just doing this as a businessman. And, and with the connections of that, that Colonel Morris and our other, our, you know, our very solid military team have. Um, And it helps to know these generals also. And it's like, and we've been trying to help some of the guys with their, with their issues with the VA. Also, we have some extraordinary guys in our network, like Scott, who are very good at that. Uh, And it just, so it's just actually putting in the effort. 
Uh, it, people understand you're one of 435 people, but if you're picking two or three key issues every year that you can change, uh, getting that base housing fixed, you know, getting, getting a, 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 like these care coordinators are so overwhelmed and, right. you know, so they don't the offices. understaffed, they're not paid like they need to be paid. And, it, and I mean, they're it's frustrated just, as well, just as frustrated. And they, usually they have a military back, you know, they have a military background too. Always, yep. Yeah. So it's like, we're, we're going through all this and it, it's just, there's no effort on the part of the incumbent right now. After 16 years, have just been there too long. They're invisible. They're worried about themselves. And, you know, that has to change. That has to change every single day. It's like that old, you know, that old saying, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? It's just, <laughs> but you got to start today. Yeah, you, you do. Start, you know, with that bite upon bite, we're already starting and we're not even elected. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, I think ultimately it's, it's effort, it's strategy. And, you know, you know, the saying in the army, you know, it's like. Drink those, water. Yeah. Well, drink. Well, there's that. Yes. There's many sayings, but you yeah. know, the, the one, one of the ones I like is, uh, Amateurs talk um, strategy, pros talk logistics, and you got to actually have a plan that you're executing and you got to execute that every day. Yeah, I like that. I was a logistics officer, so I definitely like the logistics thing. <laughs> I wanted to ask you one more question because you're really fun to interview, and I know it's time to go. But what do you, what do you think about the wokeism in the military? What are we going to do? To and maybe you like it. What are your thoughts on that? Because it drives me absolutely insane. Yeah, it it drives me insane. Also, uh, obviously, the job of the military, as many people will jokingly put it, simplistically, is to break the enemy's stuff faster than they break your stuff. And our focus needs to be on that and saving our lives and causing great costs to the enemy. And anytime we take the focus off of that, we're putting our guys' lives at risk. And when you see things happen, like they go down a list, there's 50 candidates, and these they rank them all by how good they are. And then they go down the list again, and they go, well, number 20 fits this woke criteria. They go to the top of the list. It's so demoralizing for the people that are doing their job. Absolutely. And- and they wonder why we're getting the brain drain and we don't have the quality people that we used to have. And we're having trouble winning, winning things and simple things. And I mean, yes, like we can look at Afghanistan. Yes. It was a failure of intelligence. It was a failure of the politicians in DC. It was all kinds of things, but it was also it, it, you know, every level there were people that were put there based on a political policy rather than a policy of who was going to be the best at keeping those people alive and safe on the ground. And because of that, we had over a dozen Marines get killed. That didn't need to happen. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that you don't follow me on, um, follow me before this. But yes, that was a huge issue for me. Afghanistan was a huge, huge issue. Um, Just unbelievable that cycle through. It was just, it was just unbelievable. And now we're kind of like past it, um, but we're not past it because we still are making those same decisions again. And and God bless the Afghanistan people that we just left there, but I don't want to go off on a tangent because I will. No, no, but you're you're right. You're absolutely correct. And, you know, we, we ended our policy of replacement that we had through world war two in Korea, where when when a geo wasn't doing their job, we just replaced them. Now we leave them. And I mean, just, this is, We've gotten way too sensitive to the politics of powerful people and to the the ideas of powerful lobbies. And we're not worrying about the man and the woman on the ground who's dealing with this stuff every day, day in, day out. We're not worrying about their morale. 
We're not worried about taking care of them. And then once they get out or they have medical issues, it's like they don't exist. They have to fight for every single thing. And, and I have so many friends I could tell you personal stories about, as you could too. I mean, my one friend, he had a fever of 103 because he had a tonsil infection from burning trash uh, in, in Iraq. And he had a fever of 103. It took him three months to get his tonsils out. Three months. Wow. Unacceptable. And just that's a minor issue. I mean, we know so many that are so, so much worse, but yes. Well, thank you so much for interviewing me and I'm, I'm always happy to come on again. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to, um, to give you a chance to say one last thing before you, before you leave, why should I vote for you? I mean, I'm going to, I would vote for you if I was there. Um, but why to, to your constituents, why should I vote for you and why are you going to beat Doug? Well, Again, I'm a businessman, not a politician. I'm also a product of school choice. I was I was homeschooled all the way through high school. Um, and, you know, I, I come from a Christian conservative upbringing, but I also have spent time all around the world. I've done business on five continents. You know, I see the problems that are going on internationally, whether it's China, Russia, you know, what we're going, what we're dealing with in Ukraine and whether it's foreign policy um, or, or business touches everything. And that's why business people do so well. Business and military are the main drivers in this country. And it's why business and military people do so well as politicians and leaders. Well, that's because why they, I trust it so well, I think, personally. Yeah, exactly. And it, we just, we've seen the issues firsthand. We've seen what goes on and we're able to leverage that experience and that, that you know, uh, knowledge and experience leveraged properly that's wisdom you know and it's like we are able to to do that with the background because we've failed we've lost our own money and we understand how to keep people's money you know let's keep as much in your pocket as possible that's where our focus should be our our focus should not be on wokeism and on whatever crazy political trend is going on that week the moral fashion that is the left and this is probably the thing and I'll leave people with is this majoring in the minors thing you know we have people on the other side that are open communists and open socialists this would never have been dreamed of a decade ago but this is how far our country has gone we need to band together and be on the same side we need to pick people that have the experience in their life to be effective leaders and we need to back them and support them people need to fear this district in DC for all the evil that it can expose. And we need somebody there who's willing to do that, who's willing to take the shots and be shot at, who brings a team with them to support them. Because I'm not a perfect person. You know, none of us are perfect. We're, we're you know, we live in a fallen world. <laughs> but <clears throat> when you have the experience and you have a great team behind you, and, and just, I mean, you know, several of the people on my team your, yourself, like, like James, James Hutton. And, and I love, so on. absolutely love James Hutton. Yep. Great I mean, choice. <laughs> yes. No, thank you. He's, he's a wonderful guy. And, and, and Lydia who works with him and, you know, and, and General Grange and Colonel Morris, like, I'm so blessed to have the team that I have. I'm grateful. And, and I'm here to fight for this district. You know, we can, we can keep beating around the bush we can keep reelecting people who aren't looking out for our interests. They're only looking out for their own. Or let's put some fresh blood in there. Let's put a team of people in there that are fighters, that have a history of fighting all over the world, whether it's in military service or business, fighting for what's right, doing what's right. Heatonforcongress.com. 
if people want to contribute or volunteer, I would so appreciate it. And again, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you so much. And you motivated me. And I really appreciate your backing of veterans and military. And thank you so much for your time today. So thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Lindsay. Bye. Bye.